morning. As you're taking a seat, why don't you turn to someone and say, it's a good morning to be at church this morning. See, sometimes you've got to remind yourself. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself that it's good to be alive. I'm having to tell myself it's good to be alive right now. I uh, flew back into the UK on Friday night, so my body thinks it's four in the morning. You're pleased to know at four in the morning this morning, I was wide awake. I have uh, slept for two hours, but I am excited about this morning. I have stocked up on my Coldham's coffee, my three-shot flat white, second one of the day. And I am ready and excited to share God's word with you this morning. And I think, uh, to be honest, I don't know, I feel as bad as some of you look, so it's good. It's fine. It's good to be home. You know, I wasn't here last week, and uh, I was traveling with, with work. And the more I travel, the more I realize there's nothing quite like coming back home. There's nothing quite like coming back to your own bed, your own space, your own family. It's nice to be, it's nice to be missed. I couldn't wait to get home. I've seen my wife and my 18-month-old daughter. That was just something I couldn't wait for. And uh, it's amazing how much they can change so quickly at such a young age. I've been away for just a week, and I arrived home after such a long flight and and actually a long drive. There was loads of traffic on the way home, and I was greeted by my wife, Rannon, and our little girl, Brooke, 18 months old. And she turns to her, my wife turns to, to Brooke and says, Say hello, Daddy. And without any hesitation, without any pause or anything, she says to me, I want to open my presents, Daddy. That's like, it's great. I'm away one week and she has ironed out her priorities in life. It's good to be missed for those right reasons. And um, it's good to be home. And it's great to be here this morning. I wasn't able to be here last Sunday. And it's great to be home. Great to be home at church. And this morning, we're continuing our series you asked. If you uh, didn't get notes on the way in, if you'd like to follow along, these will help you. Um, opportunity to fill in the blanks, opportunity for those people who are inspired by drawing, you can doodle on those as we go along. If you didn't get one of those, stick your hand up and the one of the Connect team will give you those. There's a few people at the front who didn't get those on the way in. Um, it's been a great series. I've, I've loved this series so far. We've been taking some time to look at some of the questions that have been suggested by you, members of our community here as a church. And it's been great. I remember standing here a couple of months ago, maybe in December, um, during the worship and encouraging you to take out Connect Card and to come up with some questions for this series. You know, no holds barred. Any question is okay. Come up with something really good, really difficult. And I was so enthusiastic because I didn't realize that I was going to be part of this series, and you guys, you guys have come up with some really deep, deep questions, and that's that's been brilliant. Um, we uh, the last few weeks we've been looking at some stuff, and the next few weeks we're looking at, at money, we're looking at sex, and what happens after we die. They are three separate questions, by the way. If you thought they were one, um, and what's been great about this series is every one of these questions has a theological implication, but hopefully it also has a practical application. And this morning, we're looking at another question. And this question is, what's faith and what's presumption? Now, before I start, I really feel like I need to give some sort of disclaimer. What I'm going to say this morning comes with no warranty attached. I hopefully will provide some answers, but they're very much 
my answers, and I certainly don't profess for them to be the answers to this question. And uh, you may even leave this morning with more questions than you have answers. And I kind of think that's okay. I think if this series, if all it does, and hopefully it will do more than this, but if all it does is serve to prompt and to poke us and cause us to dive deeper into these questions and what they mean for us, then it will have served a great purpose because it's great for us to ask questions. And we shouldn't be afraid of questions. Well, why? Because I believe that God's answers are bigger than our questions. And I believe that he is bigger than our doubts and he is bigger than our uncertainties and your questions are important to him. And in light of that, I want to just take a moment before we start to uh, read the original question as it was put forward uh, from this Connect card. Because we've taken the time to sort of collate all those questions together, we've sort of grouped them and then we've assigned titles to them so they all kind of fit with the same sort of packaging. But perhaps in reading the original question, it will motivate what I've got to share this morning more than the title that's been assigned to it. So here's the question. It's often very difficult to determine when you should wait for God to act and when you should just step out in faith. Is there any advice to help find out which is which? When should we wait for God to act and when should we step out in faith? This is a great question. And thank you. If it was you that submitted it, thank you so much. I think there's something that we can learn a lot from. I think it's probably a question that many of us will ask ourselves often as we go through life. And I've been spending some time really thinking about this question. Obviously, it was, as it was given to me, I thought, oh, I've really got to spend some time mulling this question over. And the more I thought about it, the more I feel like it presents a bit of a dichotomy, an either-or question. And like many either-or questions that we find ourselves asking, perhaps this one actually has a bit more of a both-and answer than we might first think. See, when we step out in faith, we should expect God to act. And equally, when God acts, he often does it through us. I just want to start what I'm going to share this morning by reading a verse from Acts. It's in your notes. It starts at Acts chapter 14, verse 27 just to frame some of the discussion this morning. It says, When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, there's a really key word in here. It does not say they began to report all things that God had done for them. It actually says they were reporting all things that God had done with them. And as I was reading this verse, it reminded me of an article that I was recently shown. Uh, from a, It's quite an old article. It's from a 1973 edition of American Scientist magazine. It's a very well-known article by an Oxford University engineering professor. And it's looking at the efficiency of different species and how they move. So it looks at how much energy it takes for a given species to move a kilometer based on proportional to how much it weighed. Okay, so 
how much, how much energy will it cost a human to move a kilometer based on how much it weighs versus how much energy will it cost other species. Um, and uh, to be honest, the results were pretty devastating for us, the pinnacle of God's creation. We, we kind of suck. Um, there's a graph I'll show you now because a picture is worth a thousand words. And you guys look like you're in need of a picture. Um, we're kind of basically slightly more efficient than the cow. Now, I, I've got nothing against cows, but I look at them and I think they look like a very lazy animal. And uh, that's us there, the pinnacle of God's creation, ever so slightly better than the cow. And completely outstripped when it comes to other animals like the horse and the fish. That fish is actually a salmon was actually the, the most efficient animal in this study, the most efficient species in this study in terms of how efficiently it moves and how much energy it consumes for it to move. And then this was an engineering article. So it was looking at uh, various attempts by um, sort of mankind to create vehicles to improve our efficiency in moving. And uh, this next slide will show you a couple of examples of that. You see. On this one, we can see a car and a plane, and there were various others like private jets and helicopters. And the, what came out was the fact that none of these actually improve our efficiency. They serve some other purposes, perhaps, but they're certainly a far less efficient way for us to move. But what the study was really looking to show was this humble achievement of engineering, which was the most efficient way for humans to move and actually outstrips all competition. And that was, you'll see on the next slide, the human on the humble bicycle. Oh, I see a lot of bike lovers here. We're in the city of bikes, Cambridge, a little ripple of satisfaction. This, this actually improves the human's efficiency to move by 80% and outstrips even the best in the study, the salmon, by almost 40%. It's quite an achievement. And I can see many of you are thinking, where is he going with this? But bear with me, I've got something. Um, I wanted to just look, look at what the difference is between these other vehicles that have been invented that have actually produced a net efficiency decrease and what makes them different from this bicycle, which has wonder, like, been such a wonder and has improved our efficiency so much. And I think the difference is, is this. The other vehicles, they replace humans when it comes to their method of how they move. So sure, a human might be required to control the car, to control the plane, but in terms of the power that's used to move, the method that's used to move, the fuel that's required to move, it's completely made the human redundant. It uses a completely different mechanism. And we compare this with the bicycle, and it's, it's different. Rather than replacing us, it augments us. It uses our, our own energy and it takes us further more efficient. You see, it works with us and us with it. And I think this serves as a pretty good illustration of what it's like to work in tandem with God. You see, he does not want to replace us. Of course, he is an all-powerful, all-knowing God, and he could do all things. He doesn't need us, yet we are his plan A for this planet. His primary strategy is to work with us and through us. And when we choose to do things with him, I think we can realize our purpose, we can realize our potential so much easier than we could if we do things on our own and strive in our own strength. You see, we don't do things in our own strength. We do things with his strength. 
And I'm not saying that that means there's never going to be any opposition when we function in God's will. But there should definitely be an ease that comes and a peace and a grace when we align ourselves with him and we become a mighty partnership and an unstoppable force. You see, we can do some things in our strength, but as the Apostle Paul writes, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. All things. And uh, in this case, in the book of Acts, we read that he had opened the door for the church in Acts, but he did it not for them and not without them. He did it with them. And this door, this door of faith that they speak about, it's a very well-used metaphor. It's a very well-trodden idiom in our language. We always talk of the door of opportunity. You know, what doors in life are you going to walk through? And as I've been traveling with work this week, I was, I was thinking about the different kinds of doors that we can be presented with in life. And uh, I've been in the U.S. and I haven't been to the U.S. before. And it's funny, when you go somewhere new, it's often not the big differences that, that cause the most confusion. I mean, you, they become, I think it's probably because they're very obvious. So you turn up and everyone's driving on the other side of the road. And you, you better get used to that pretty quickly. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. It tends to be not those things that are the obvious things that cause the problems. It tends to be the little things. The little things that require sort of local expertise, like which lane to use in a junction. Or for me, I was going to um, our offices in the US. And uh, despite being the same company, everything's just entirely different. I didn't know which door to use. There's nothing worse than being at the front of a queue full of people like say 50 people behind you and you walk up to a door and the door doesn't open the way you expect or you don't know how to open the door. I mean, there were so many different kinds of doors. Some doors required badge access, some doors didn't. Some doors required a button press, others did not. There were some doors that were double doors where you could go in one side, but if you opened the other side, it would set off an alarm. It was just complete havoc. I had no idea what I was doing. There were so many different doors. And I was thinking about how this could apply to those metaphorical doors that we face in our lives. You know, the times in life where we need to go from one place to another or pass from one stage to the next. But just like the doors we face in real life, no two, no two doors will necessarily be identical. And different kinds of doors will present us with different challenges and also different opportunities. And I just want to spend a bit of time this morning looking at some of the parallels that we can draw on from these doors we face in the real world, this, in our real lives, to, to some of the ones that we face in the metaphorical in our, in our lives. And I've just got four points I want to share with you this morning and some lessons I think we can learn from those doors. The first one is this. Be prepared for the pull door. Keep pushing and keep moving. That is the advice for success and happiness in today's modern culture. Now, that's not even true to say that it's only the modern culture. There's a great old Chinese quote, I'm sure many of you will have heard it, which says this, it doesn't matter how slowly you go as long as you don't stop. Anyone heard that? It's a very well-known quote by Confucius. And a quick Google search will bring up as many more motivational quotes as you can really shake a stick at, encouraging us to move forward. Keep moving forward. Modern and ancient wisdom alike, from the world's finest inventors, writers, politicians, and musicians. Here's one from Walt Disney. It says, 
We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. In other words, keep pressing on, keep pushing, and most importantly, keep moving forwards. Well, I want to let you in on a secret this morning. This one's really profound. I'm sure when you hear it, you'll understand why, and you'll thank me later, I'm sure. If you write anything down today, it's this. No amount of pushing is going to open that pull door. That's deep, isn't it? No amount of pushing can open a pull door. We've all seen, or if we're more unfortunate, we've been that person who's walking so confidently, palm first, into that pull door. It's not a pretty sight. In fact, it's quite a fact that's quite close to home. My wife actually broke her arm doing this. Um, so if you see her later, you can talk to her about her experiences with these doors. Um, she was one of these people. And no amount of self-confidence and self-motivation was going to make that door open the way she expected. But there's something more in this image for us, I think. You see, when you get to a pull door, perhaps you can't follow that advice of from Confucius. Not only do you have to slow down, you might even have to stop. And then you open the door, and you might even have to take a step backwards to make room for the door before you can go forwards again. And I think that can be true in life. Sometimes we might need to pause and take a step backwards in order to continue forwards into what God has for us. We all know that life is full of ups and downs, but I do know this, that God, he has a plan for me. And he has a plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you and a plan to give you a hope and a future. And through those corridor of push doors, you know, you might be on a great streak. You might feel like life's going your way. You're just pushing those doors open as you go. I want to say to you, be prepared, but don't despair when you come across the pull door. It might just be the thing you need to go forward into the next thing that God's got for you. I was thinking about this a bit more, and there's actually quite a common place where you encounter pull doors. If you think about it, long enough, you might realize that you perhaps encounter them every day of your life. Many of you this morning when you left home, the door that you leave the house with will be a door that opens inwards. You have to pull the door to leave your house. I hope that's true of everybody. I'm pretty sure that's true of most doors. And I was thinking about that image, and I thought, that's such a beautiful image, that the door you take to step out into a place without walls, a place without limits, a place beyond your own personal comfort, often requires you to slow down, pause, maybe even take a step backwards before you step in and go forwards. So prepare yourself for those pull doors. The second one is this. Be considerate with the push door. See, it's just dawning on you now that he's going to go through all the doors. Well, I want to manage your expectation. That is correct. I'll be going through all the doors this morning. So number two, be considerate with that push door. Push doors present a different challenge. They require us to start being considerate of other people. 
We need to make sure we're not, we're not coming so focused on our own goals and our own walks that we don't just keep blindly pushing doors to the point where we're starting to push them into other people's faces. I don't know if you've ever been on the other side of a door when it's open suddenly right into your face. It's probably not a very pleasant experience. And it's not what our goal should be. There's a verse from 1 Corinthians I've put in your notes where Paul writes this. He says, I have the gift of, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. You see, it's not all about progress. It's all about people. We have a saying here at C3 that it's not about process, it's about people. And here we see it's not about progress, it's all about people. We need to have love and consideration for others. Because we are in this together. We are in this together. When we push through the doors of opportunity in our lives, perhaps we should just take a moment just to look over our shoulder and see, is there somebody else that I can hold this door open for? You know, perhaps there's somebody else who could benefit from the effort that I've just put in and the grace that God's just given me in allowing me to go through this door. I can make it easier for the person that's coming behind me. Perhaps you've had to really push through some specific hardship in your life. Well, maybe, just maybe, you can relate to other people who are going through that specific hardship better than anybody else who has never been through that. And maybe... There's an opportunity for you to use that experience of pushing through that door of that specific hardship to make it easier and faster for somebody else coming behind you who's experiencing the same door in their life. See, we're in this together. Perhaps it's you're on the other side of that. Perhaps somebody has helped you recently and held the door for you and helped you push through something in your life. Well, don't forget to take over the holding. Right? No one wants to be that person who opens the door and then they commit to holding the door for the line of people. No one wants to be that person. Sometimes that's our role in life for a little while with the door holders while streams of people come in. But let's all remember, let's play our part. If someone's held the door open for you, why don't you do your best to hold the door open for the next person? We need to play our part, being grateful to those people ahead of us who may have held that door open for us, but those people coming behind us for whom we can perhaps help them. The third point is this. Be patient at the revolving door. I hate revolving doors. These are my least favorite door. Now, I tend to avoid revolving doors wherever possible. So if there's another door, uh, there's an alternative to the revolving door, even if it requires me to walk quite a bit further or engage with the door, with some physical activity like pushing or pulling, I will do that if it means I don't have to go in the revolving door. I hate the revolving door. I think it's probably because I have a lack of patience. Now, you see, I'm going to be open and honest. That's, I'm sure I'm the only one here. I'm sure none of you struggle with a lack of patience. Um, so I'm just going to be open about that. I'm one of those people who would rather work harder and get the job done sooner than sort of relax and let things happen in their own time. But sometimes you just have to be patient, and you find yourself in these revolving doors. And do you know what you can do about it? Nothing. You can't do anything. If you've ever tried to fight against a revolving door, you will know that you are fighting a losing battle. 
See, if you try and go faster than the pace the door dictates, not only does the door not go faster, it stops altogether. And then it, like, it bites you on the other end as well, because if you try and go too slowly, it stops. And worst of all, even if you're going at just the right speed, someone else, it's always someone else. These are the people to avoid in life, the people who go too slowly and too fast in revolving doors. Even when somebody else goes too fast or too slow, the door stops. See, if it were up to me, these kind of doors would go maybe three or four times the speed they do. It would be like something from one of those TV assault courses, like total wipeout. Be like, should I go, should I go? In we go, around it goes. That's how I would do revolving doors. I think that would be more efficient. It would suit me and my lack of patience. But you know something? They're not that fast. And there's nothing I can do about it. Right? Sometimes you just have to go at a pace that might not be your choice. And when it comes to life, I think this is a little bit like the challenge of God's timing. See, his plan for you might not have the same schedule as your plan for you. But I can tell you this. His plan beats your plan every time. And as frustrating as it might feel, I've learned this to be true. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. A good thing taken out of its appropriate season can actually be destructive. And often the timing serves to teach us something. Maybe it's just there simply to teach us patience. But rest assured, if God's given you a word, if you believe God's spoken to you about something that will come to pass, it will come to pass. His word will not return empty. The Bible tells us it will, it will achieve that which it was purposed for. Not in our time, perhaps, but in his. The one who sees all time. The one who understands the best time for us. And see, I struggle with this probably more than anything else. I struggle with this idea of patience. I like things to happen quicker than perhaps they happen. I, I always try and perhaps push things a little bit too quickly. But I want to share with you a verse that's been really helpful for me. If you can relate to that. It's in Habakkuk. It's in chapter 2, verse 2. I hope it's in your notes. It says this. The vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. Now, I don't know if you've been there. I can hardly wait sometimes. When I know something's going to come to pass, I can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. So if you feel like there's something that you know should be happening and it's not happening, fear not. It's not a lie. It's just not your timing. I'm reminded of the quote from Lord of the Rings, you know, the one where Gandalf the wizard turns up and says, someone tells him he's late, and he says, a wizard is never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. Now, I hope that's not too difficult to talk about wizards in church, but there's something in that quote, you know. Sometimes the will of God will arrive precisely when it means to. It will never be late, and it will never be early. It will be just on time. The fourth point is this. Be active at the automatic door. 
Now, automatic doors are probably my favorite kind of door, probably because they don't require me to stop, and they don't require any patience, they don't require any pushing, they don't require any pulling. They require very little effort indeed, but they still require a little bit of effort. You see, they don't just open on their own. Automatic doors don't open unless they sense some movement. And even then, I find I don't know if it's just me, I feel like sometimes they don't like me more than they don't like other people, but I found myself going up to automatic doors having to sort of wave or do some star jumps just to get the attention of the sensor. You see, we need to get the attention of the sensor. We have to interact somehow with this door before it will open. And I think that these doors best represent those doors in our life that are just ready to be opened. Just one step, even the smallest of flinches, and they will slide wide and ready. The only thing they won't open for is stillness. These are the doors where God's tried to make it as easy as possible for us. But we still need to be willing, and we still need to move. You know, there's an old adage which says that you cannot steer a stationary ship. You know, something has to be moving before you can influence its direction. Well, maybe it's your time to move. Maybe this is your door. It doesn't need to be a large movement. Maybe your faith you feel for this moment is small. Well, that's not a problem. I want to tell you that faith is small as a mustard seed. The Bible tells us can move mountains. So maybe it's just a little step that you have the courage to do, but I want to tell you, take that step. Good. Take that step, and you will see perhaps God opening doors that you never realized would open. And they'll be open automatically, so you can just walk through, no hands. You just stroll right on through to the next thing that God's got for you. That's the automatic door, but it still requires some action. So we talked all about these doors. I realize I'm... um, stretching this analogy quite a lot, but I guess you're asking yourself, well, what about those doors that don't open? Well, most of the time, a door doesn't open for a reason. It's probably because it's locked. Um, But even locked doors require action. And here's why. Here's the key, pun intended. How will you know? How will you know the door is locked? unless you try and open it. And I wonder if this really serves to kind of capture what I'm trying to say here this morning. Every door requires action, even the locked doors. So when should I wait for God to act, and when should I step out in faith? Here's one answer. Always and always. But perhaps in the other order. Step out in faith and then wait for God to act. See, if you step out in faith and it turns out that this is not the right door for you, then that's fine. If there's an opportunity for you to take and it seems right to you and it aligns with your convictions and your your beliefs and you feel that it is what God would want for your life, then why don't you just step out and give it a go? If it's not right, you will soon find out. But how will you know otherwise? Listen to this story of David and 2 Samuel. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, 
while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. The Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. His motives were good. He wanted to take an opportunity to do something for God. So he did. He took a step of faith and he pushed a door. The story goes on. It says, But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here we see David acting on his conviction and it turning out that it wasn't really the right thing for him to do. But I wonder, would God have spoken to David through Nathan and told him not to build the temple if he hadn't have tried himself? And I'm wondering how many doors in our lives are sitting there unlocked, but we don't know because we've never tried them. We have to act to find out. Sometimes they will be locked. And I guess this door was locked for David. Just like doors usually exist to serve some sort of purpose, when they're locked, usually there's a reason for that too. I mean, maybe they're locked for a time. Remember we said the right thing at the wrong time was the wrong thing? Well, God wants the best for us. And maybe sometimes that best isn't just about the what, maybe it's about the when. And maybe sometimes when we feel it's been a no, maybe it's really just a not yet. And some doors we face in life are just not the doors for us. They will always be locked to us. And this door in this story was not for David. This was not his door. This was his son's door. The problem is, it's easy for us to get frustrated and discouraged when we encounter locked doors. And I believe this is where we need to guard our hearts against presumption and comparison. Not every door is a door for me. And not every door is a door for you. And that's okay. If only we could stop comparing ourselves and comparing the doors that other people have with ours, we would be far more satisfied with what God has given us. Those who know me know that during the week I, I work in the software industry and like many of you here, I have to use a security badge to get into my office. You know, I have to wave my badge at the door and it magically opens like a very old, bad episode of Star Trek. And some companies take this more seriously than others. My company takes this very seriously. So we operate a strict no tailgating policy. So it doesn't matter if there's three people behind you or 300 people behind you. Everyone will stop. Everyone will badge in before entering. And on the way out, everyone will stop. And everyone will badge out before exiting. 
And due to the size and, and scale of the company, not every employee is able to use their badge to access every door, right? There are restricted areas. Now, there's something about the phrase restricted area that sounds quite enticing, you know. Perhaps it's my lack of patience and my immaturity. I'm laying it all out there for you this morning. It's yet another one of my weaknesses, and I'm sure I'm the only one here as well. When I see a restricted area, I feel, ooh, something good in there. There are even procedures in place at our company that for certain areas, even if an employee, a genuine employee with a genuine security badge, tries to access a certain place where they shouldn't, it triggers security. They take this very seriously. Now, we have a door in our Cambridge office that I cannot access with my badge. Now, I've been there six months, and uh, I find this very taunting. As I said, I feel like I have struggled with what the modern generation calls FOMO. I have the fear of missing out. I'm like, there's got to be something incredible behind this door, right? Otherwise, why would they lock it? There must be something so special behind there, something so important, so secretive that I shouldn't know about. I'm intrigued. And what makes it worse is I have to walk past this door every day I go to my desk. This unmarked door of mystery. Except for one day, it was open. Now, you see, someone who's better than me would just walk on by. And they'd pretend that it was never open. They'd perhaps even report that it was open. But me, you know, yet another one of my failings, I had a little peek in. Do you know what I saw? Cleaning supplies. This unlabeled door of mystery was the janitor's cupboard. It was locked to me not because I wasn't special enough, not because I wasn't qualified enough or important enough in the eyes of people who control the doors. It was locked to me because it wasn't my door, right? There was nothing exciting behind the door. It just wasn't for me. And there's a verse I put in your notes. It's actually at the start of your notes in Revelation 3, and it says this, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Some doors in life won't open for you, and they will open for others. Other doors will open for others, and they won't open for you. But the only thing I do know is that the doors that will open for you, the doors that God opens for you, they're the best doors for you. The musicians are going to come back now. In a minute, we're going to close with a song of worship. But it wouldn't be right for me to talk about all these shut doors without us returning our focus to the doors that are open. You see, that verse that I just read in Revelation goes on. And if we read verse 7 and verse 8, it says this. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I see your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. 
there is one door of opportunity that will always remain open. This is the door of grace, the door of salvation for those who recognize the name of Jesus. It's the door of forgiveness for those who choose him as their savior. It's the opportunity to start or to restore a relationship with him that could change your life forever. See, some opportunities, they come and they go, right? Some doors have a window of time associated with them. Maybe it's based on your current circumstance, or maybe it's based on who you are, but there's something different about this door. You see, this door has nothing to do with you, yet at the same time, has everything to do with you. It has nothing to do with what you've done or where you've been, but it has everything to do with who you are. It has everything to do with the love that God has for you. Right here, in a moment on the 12th of February, 2017, you can choose this door. You can walk through the open door, the one that no one can shut. You can choose to accept Jesus as your savior. You can become a Christian. All it takes is one step of faith, one prayer from an open heart. Or maybe you've walked through that door before, maybe you've walked through it hundreds of times, but you feel right now you are so far away from that moment, you can't even remember the time you walked through it last. Well, that's okay. This door will never shut. And we're going to sing in a moment, and afterwards we're going to have an opportunity to pray. And that's all it takes for you to make that decision to walk through that door again. For you to accept Jesus again. Or for the very first time. Why don't we stand? Why don't we lift up the name of Jesus in this place? Sing this song as the musicians lead us.